Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to another episode of Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my fellow family lawyer, Liza. Today, Liza, I thought we would talk about what happens when you absolutely positively haven't got any choice but to go to court to get your family law matter sorted out. So this is kind of a a quick and dirty overview of the court processes and what things and steps you have to go because we now have a fairly managed pathway, if I can call it that, through the court process. So let's say client comes in to see us, can't reach any agreement, parenting, property, maybe a combination of both, maybe maintenance, all those sorts of issues. They go, right, we're getting no traction. We've reached out to the other side. And I'm going to say to my client, hold on. There's this thing called pre-action procedures. PAP. PAP. Well, uh, yeah. They <laughs> <laughs> it only just, I just realised then, pre-action procedures, PAP. I know, right. Have you done your PAP? Have you done your PAP test? Well, this is... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we'll probably cover off the PAP test, so that is yeah. to say pre-action procedures in a whole other episode because there's quite a lot of things involved yeah. with it. But basically, for the purposes of today's conversation, that's the series of communications that you're supposed to have with somebody on the other side before you start a court proceeding. That means going through dispute resolution events. It means giving them offers to settle. It means genuinely trying to negotiate an outcome before you go to court. Court should be your last resort. That's the whole purpose of the pre-action procedures. It's trying to keep people away from court. And one of the things the early court hearings will do is to test you on whether you've actually complied with those procedures. But we'll come back to those another day. Let's say that you have. So... You've passed your PAP test. You've passed your PAP test or you're prepared to say it's sufficiently urgent that the PAP test has to be deferred for some time. Yep. So case management in um, our lovely court system and for our purposes, again, as family lawyers, the the courts that we typically are talking about here is the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, the fcfcoa.gov.au. Western Australia has its own court. Um, which is fine. They use the same Family Law Act, but they have their own court system. But we're going to focus upon the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, which covers everywhere apart from WA. So the first question is, fairly unsurprisingly, that you're going to be considering is, have you gone through your PAP test? Have you made your offers? We're going to say that, yeah, okay, we have. Assume that we have for the moment. Assume that we have. So then we then commence a proceeding by filing an application Yep, it's an initiating application. All right, in let's, div- let's go through those things. As we go through, we'll talk about the forms yep. that you have to fill in and file as well because yep. there are uh, a myriad of forms in family mm-hmm. law cases and these things all attract fees as well, When not just your own solicitors or, or barristers preparing documents for you, but you'll also be paying court fees as you go. So an initiating application, what on earth is that? That's just the document that you fill in to kick it all off. So it's got information about you, information about your um, other party. Did I just say information? Information. I think no. I just said, anyway, information. And about inflama- inflammatory information. <laughs> well, look, I'll well, tell well, you what, we've, we've, 
We've kicked it off with a pap test, but anyway. Well, we'll get to the inflammatory well, information when we talk about affidavits, I suspect. But That's exactly right. So in terms of the initiating application, um, it sets out your information, things like where you live, what you do, where you, whether you're working, how many kids you got, when you got married, all that sort of stuff. Because it basically needs to, the court needs to be satisfied that it has jurisdiction. And Who's who in the zoo? Who who yep. is it that's applying? What are your details? And what do you want? And what do you? That's the you know, the thing that you will have discussed with your lawyer in yep. putting that application together. Is hey, I can't agree with the other side. I would like this outcome. Yep. So the outcome is the set of court orders that you want the court to make yep. ultimately. So, so that's what you write in your application. Form. In the final orders section. Right. So there's a section about final orders, and there's also a section about interim orders or interlocutory orders. Okay. So they're the ones that the things that you want now. Short term orders. Short term procedural orders, things like that. So okay. you might need some evaluations, you might need um you not might need a family report. Yep. You might already know that. You might need a children's lawyer appointed. You you might need to compel the parties to comply with their disclosure obligations. That's right. So there are a number of different things that you can put in those orders, but you will have already worked that out by the time you're preparing your initiating application. So that's the first form. If it's a um, in in all of the cases, I think you've got I think it's a, called a genuine step certificate. Yep. Yep. That's Which your little that's your little certificate to say that you've completed your pap test or haven't or haven't for, completed. for these reasons. Yep. And yep. if you are particularly if you're ticking that box that something is urgent, remember that you also need to have a cover letter with mm. all this material explaining the urgency. Yeah. So some people such as myself, will think it's enough to put explain the urgency in an affidavit thinking the court's going to read it, but the court doesn't always read it. And you sort of think, okay, well, it's within the material that we filed, but they want an extra letter. I guess, you know, for the benefit of the court, they're dealing with thousands of applications right. all the they're time. They're not going to read so every single one. If you don't flag it up as being urgent with the stuff that yep. you're filing, then it's reasonable for the court to say it's just going to go through usual process, usual time frames, and we will get to it as quickly as we can. They're much yep. better than they were, say, two or three years ago. Definitely. Really trying to triage things through, which is great. The problem with some of that, and we'll talk about this briefly, I'm sure, is you know, we're from the government, we're trying to help you, and we're going to make this faster, we're going to make it more efficient, so we're going to make it cheaper, so we're going to have forms. many more forms, many more steps in the proceeding, which is potentially not what was intended. So, so you've mm. got your genuine step certificate. Sorry, yes. So back, to the, back to the form. So we've got our application form. form. We've got our genuine step certificate. Yep. Um, we have a what we call a notice of, oh, it's called notice of risk, notice of child abuse yep. and family violence. It's called something like that, but it's I call it a notice of it's risk. It's the notice of risk form. That's what I refer to it to as well. And that deals with only parenting cases where yep. we're dealing with uh, allegations of abuse or particular risks of harm, whether Domestic it's psychological, violence. DV, that sort of thing. So that's an important form because where those things are completed and flagged up and filed on the court's um, portal, which is where you lodge all of this stuff, the court staff will forward uh, and will act on those where there are inherent you know, in indicators of risk. They have various projects which we'll talk about in a bit. But, um, okay, so we have a notice of risk, and yep. that, uh, that's to identify issues to do with children. In, what else what in property have? matters, you've mm -hmm. got to, um, to prepare a financial statement. So that sets out all your income, expenditure, assets and liabilities and super. Okay. And other financial resources that you've got. So both parties have to um, will have to prepare what's called a financial statement for yep. property matters. And that sets out your income, your outgoings, yep. 
your property that you own, your yep. super, and the debts that you've got. Yep. It's a, a it's about a fifteen page. Oh, that's longer than that, isn't it? Now it goes sort of part O. It's like twenty page form or something like that. Trick but for young players: financial statement has a little affidavit at the start, so don't think you can just put anything in your financial statement. Oh no! You may be cross examined on that financial statement later on. And the other thing I would say about it is when I'm seeing people they who people just love to fill in forms. Some you know, a lot of clients that we have mm. don't love to fill in forms, but we we help them with that process. But some form some form fillers can't stop. And there's a section at the end of that financial statement that you only need to deal with and fill in, which is a very detailed weekly exposition of your in, your income and expenditure. Maintenance. Only if you're running a maintenance application or dealing with one. Otherwise, don't fill it in. Don't need to know. It's not necessary. It's it's um, helpful information. Very helpful when, <laughs> it's on when you're side. on the other side. <laughs> That's right. But there's a little tip. All right, so we have a financial statement. And what else might we have and to file? if we've got an interim application, if you're seeking interim orders or interlocutory orders or procedural mm-hmm. orders... Which we do a lot of the a time. A lot of the time you will be doing that because most people realise that when you p- get your matter into court, nothing's really going to happen substantially yep. for a very, very long time. So you do need to have um, a- an application or an interim application being made. And the alternative, of course, if you don't have it from your initial initiating application... If you change your mind later on, you say, oh, actually, I do think I need a family rep- family report and valuations and a whole heap of other interim orders, um, then you'll need to file f- file what's called a, an application in a proceeding. Right. So that's more, more cost, more money, all that sort of stuff. So you're better off working out what you're going to need in the short term and putting forward that um, those orders at the initiating application stage and then filing your affidavit in support. Yeah, but it's a good it's a good idea to get some early orders to try and direct the case a little bit, which yeah. usually means file an affidavit. I think 10 pages is, is your usual rule. Um, sometimes it might be necessary to go over that, but 10 pages is enough to give you a quick view as to the history of the relationship, what's being dealt with here, what's the property, what are the arrangements for the children, why are the orders that I'm seeking on an interim basis appropriate and suitable. Yep. So... When you get all the, your documents together and your lawyer files them for you and you know the courts will take a fee from you for the pleasure of doing that and those fees are just going up. I'm try, 500 try. and something, are they? The court fees are about to go up because we're very close on the new financial year. <laughs> so They're not cheap. They're, they're not cheap, but your initiating application, if you want to do both money and children, currently the filing fee is 625, mm-hmm. but that's going up to 670. Right. Okay, Um. And even when you're responding, you have to pay a filing fee. So your ex could start a court case off and they'll pay the slightly higher fee, but then you still have to pay to respond to that. Yeah. It seems a little unfair, yeah. but there it is. Mm. Yeah, we're from the government. We're here to help you, as I will say. <laughs> um, so we were talking about the forms that they go through. You've, they're all prepared. You've got your fee ready. You lodge it on what's called the Commonwealth Courts Portal. Yep. Now, if you're a self-represented person listening to this, you can register for the Courts Portal. Just Google Commonwealth Courts Portal, and there's a little process that will talk you through that. That will then give you access to the documents on your case as it goes through. And it's also where you go online to lodge any new documents that you might need to lodge uh, along the way, more affidavits perhaps or updated financial statements or whatever it might be. Um, It doesn't cost anything to register, and it's a good idea so that you can keep eyes on on your own case. Your solicitors will in any event already be registered and able to use it to add documents to your case to see what orders have been made and so forth. But we lodge all the documents on the portal. 
And then what happens, um, as I understand it, is that there is a national assessment team that will now have a look at those documents before a date gets allocated. Yep. Now, the national assessment team's job really at that stage is to say, is this matter sufficiently serious that it needs to go to the higher court, yep. which is Division 1 of the FCFCOA, or does it go to Division 2, which handles most of the cases? Most cases will not need to go to Division 1. Yep. Most cases will be dealt with in Division 2, uh, much like Birmingham City, hopefully, for the rest of their playing <laughs> career, uh, or indeed much lower than that, possibly. Um, anyway, so Division 2 is your, you know, your common and garden court cases. That's the, the one that deals with the majority of the work. Um, and then we go into the first court event. Now, that's not usually a very lengthy event, and it'll be dealt with by either a registrar or a judicial registrar, both of which are sort of species of judicial officers, um, some of whom have different powers. We've talked about those in other episodes. but So before a registrar of some description, and they won't make pointy, like very difficult interim orders unless they're by consent on that first event. Yeah, so not much is going to happen unless you already agree. And if you mm. are filing in a court, chances are you don't agree. Yeah, it's reasonable. But by that time, though, by the first court event, the other party will all ho- already, because we're only really talking about an applicant's case here, mm. um, the respondent will have filed their documents. Yep. If they are represented or if they're not, um, there's nothing to prevent you from reaching out to them saying, hey, look, we've got this court event in a couple of weeks' time. We see the interim orders you you want and these are the ones that we want they're not that far apart maybe we could agree mm. reach out to them and agree and perhaps you can save yourself you can often get some procedural orders yeah at, at the very least you get some um, procedural orders at that first one which helps to bring the case moving along and then one of the questions for the registrar and indeed the parties will be okay at that first court event do i need to set this down for an interim hearing do i need to have a contested hearing about these short-term orders i want because sometimes we talk about interim orders in the short term, but these could last for six, nine, twelve yep. months. And if you're talking about arrangements for children, it's important to get it right. Yeah, they can be quite significant changes yep. in life arrangements for children. So you might need, if you can't agree them, then you might very well need to have an interim hearing. You probably won't get too far without something called a family report or a version of a family mm. report. It could be a child inclusive conference, a memorandum, so some kind of expert view about what those arrangements might be for kids so there could be steps along the way as you're saying procedural steps i won't talk about family reports now we're just trying to look about the pathways here but we may go and go to an interim hearing and that might be it will be a contested hearing and that means both of the affidavits that were filed with the initiating application and the response to that will be read uh, it's unlikely, isn't it, that people will be cross-examined at this stage. Yeah, there's no no testing of the evidence as such. It's really just dealt with on the papers mm. um, in terms of, not completely on the papers, but in terms of submissions made um, to the court um, by both parties' legal representatives um, and the court will make a decision. And it's usually a decision then and there. It's It's... It's not often a reserved decision unless there's com- some complex issues, but in most cases, at an, following an interim hearing, the court will make that decision following um, the summary of argu- the submissions that were made orally. 
Um, and it can be done by teams. It can be done in person. Doesn't have to be by, by teams. We're talking Microsoft, Microsoft teams. Microsoft teams. So yeah. Anybody who doesn't you know, have the joy of doing video conferencing all the time, it just basically by, by remotely by video conference. Yeah. So um, a lot of the time, depending on the matter, the interim hearing might be um, it might be heard by a senior judicial registrar. It might be heard by a judge. It depends on the matter. Sometimes, mm. sometimes. Um, you know, more complex matters will be going obviously more to a judge, yep. whereas more matters that are quite simple and straightforward and within the powers of the lower um, grade registrars will um, be kept with them. That lower grade is not disrespectful in any way. It's merely that they have a certain amount of, of mandated powers yeah. under, yeah. under the legislation and the regulations. Um, some senior ju- judicial registrars are, are extremely senior and yep. are really across these these matters and thinking very helpful to have one of them or involved. Or about what their powers are. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, of course, not everything that goes to the first mention date is going to need a contested interim hearing. Um, it might be that the court identifies, and indeed, you might realise when you look at the other side's case in your case that there needs to be some kind of a dispute resolution event. There needs to be some kind of a um, a mediation or something yep. of that order. So the courts might then um, send you off for that. Arban Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arban Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au. Court's unlikely to make any mediation orders though, unless you've got the other bits and pieces that you're going to need. Yeah, yeah. I, um, well, that's right. That was that matter that I looked at a few the other, yeah. the other day. Yep. And um, the registrar was quite rightly saying, well, I'm not going to make any orders directing parties to attend mediation until you've got the valuations organised for the real estate and for disclosure to be completed, which is yep. quite right. And those are the orders that we drafted up and um, had yeah. a certain difficulty with the other side originally, but those are the orders that the, yeah. the registrar made because... Yep. It makes sense. There's no point sending people to go and negotiate over you know, who's going to keep what proportion of what house and, and what other property if you don't know what that property's worth. No, that's right. So don't waste everybody's time. Get and your ducks in a row first. And same with the um, parenting matters. It's very difficult for a, and I was before um, a judge in Sydney um, last week, and just when you when you're in the waiting list, you know, for your, waiting for your matter, you. You hear a whole heap of other matters. and it's great learning time. It, it is. It is excellent. And um, the judge was saying, well, how on earth am I meant to be able to adjudicate on a parenting matter when we've got a he says, she says, two sets of affidavits, both hotly contested, mm. no opportunity to cross-examine, no ability to test this evidence. Um, you know, why, why aren't the parties giving me a family report, you know? I need a family report or some independent evidence. And yeah. and it does, it makes a lot of sense that before you actually have your interim hearing or before you have your mediation, it's going to be a lot easier to convince, whether it be the judge or the other party, um, of a particular position if you have that independent evidence, whether it be evaluation, family report or whatever it is. Yeah, you've, you've got to have that extrinsic evidence, haven't yep. you? Otherwise, everybody's just pushing their own particular, you know, yeah. banging their own particular drum. Right, but let's say that we we manage to get our ducks in a row. We do get our valuations, stroke family reports, our export 
expert reports done. So dispute resolution, the courts are very keen on this yep. as a rule. Um, most things don't get into a final hearing, thankfully. Um, I think the statistics are something less than 10% of cases that are mm-hmm. filed ever end up in a final hearing. So it's ev- you have every chance of getting a case settled along the way. Yep. However reluctant people may have been before court, the court process is a very wearing one. It's expensive and it's emotional, it's time-consuming. And, of course, you realise that you're disempowered. Ultimately, if you can't decide amongst yourselves, a third person called a judge will make decisions and you might not very well like it. Uh, you do have options through an appeal. We, we have another podcast done about that. <laughs> but we, um, we're outside of power when a judge makes a decision. Whereas if you're mediating, if you are saying, OK, let's sit, let's sit down, use a mediator who I know you're a nationally um, a qualified mediator. Yep. And I've attended countless mediations. It's very important. It's quite empowering to the persons who are involved in this to actually say, no, you've got ownership over your own dispute here. Yeah, You can sort it out. You've got the facts ready. Hopefully you've both got a lawyer present so you can draft the documents there and then to get it settled. Mediation could take you a day, but it's well worth spending that time along this court pathway because if you can't sort it out, then you're almost certainly going to head off to a trial. And that's always best to be avoided. So you get, go through dispute resolution process. If you reach agreement, what do you do then? You can file your consent order, minute of order. So <coughs> Whether it be a property order or a parenting order, you, um, you know, f- formalise that document into a, what we call a minute of order. Is that guaranteed to be approved? Is that what, sorry? Guaranteed to be approved? Guaranteed, no, not necessarily. So the court still has to, so they'll... Um, they'll Look at that document. Often um, courts courts won't hesitate in granting parties liberty to approach the court when they've re- reached um, an agreement. So say, for example, you might not have another um, mention for months down the track, but you want the court to approve this document. A mention, I should say, in this like context a is, a, is a court mention. It's like yeah. a little a mini hearing, but not really. It's more procedural. Yep. So when you, um, if you happen to reach agreement and you've got a bit of time the court's, the court's not going to get cranky about parties um, contacting the court to say, well, here we go, we've resolved this. Can you please approve this and bring the matter on? Um, because what the court will do is they'll look at it and if it's a parenting matter, they still have to make sure that the order it, that is the agreement that's been reached is in the best interest of the child. And if it's a property matter, it still has to be just and equitable so before you might, they make the order. You might need either some submissions. If you've got a court hearing that's imminent, yeah. then you'll probably do those submissions directly before the judge or the senior yep. judicial registrar or the registrar. Orally, either if you're acting in person, then yourself, and you're explaining why those arrangements are fair or why they're appropriate. Or sometimes, if it's quite a way off, and quite often registrars will put this in their orders and encourage people to do this, to send them through to the court in chambers, yep. which is code for saying, email me what you propose the outcome to be and give me your reasons why you say it's fair. And if you do that, and if you're doing that, as it needs to be joint correspondence from both that's sides, right. then the courts might very well say, that's fine, we've made those orders, your case is all over, Rover. Yeah. Off you go into the sunset, you know, make friends with your ex again and everything's just rainbows and unicorns. One of the other things Except that I just... of course. <laughs> one of the other things I just wanted to quickly touch on with um, mediations is that... Mm. There's also a court, um, the, the court often will have things like conciliation conferences and 
other types of mediations that are more family, family dispute resolution. resolutions. And so it's like court-led that. events. So rather than going off to a private mediator, it's yep. dealt within the court's own purview. So usually run by a registrar instead of a mediator. I quite like those. Um, I do because the registrars can make those orders there and then. They do. And, and also too, um, when you're having a bit of trouble trying to convince the other party, mm. if you think that you're, you're on a winner... Um, often the registrar won't hold back and they'll they'll say, well, I don't think that there's anyone that's going to make that order anytime soon or they'll, they'll, they'll say things that really can assist in well, trying to bring about a resolution. Whether they're meant to or not, I don't know, but they do and you do hear I things, think it is very helpful. You do hear things from them about their take on how certain judges might decide things. Yeah. They might say, oh, I, look, I know which judge is going to be hearing this and I, I know that he or she... Um, is unlikely to make those orders because these are people that are working together frequently yep. discussing matters. Um, listen to the registrar. If they're giving you a big red flag over your proposed outcome, you know you've got a difficult case to run if you go to trial. Yeah. Very difficult. And then you're talking about months and tens of thousands of dollars potentially thrown away for absolutely no reason. Yep. And the other thing too is that um, in terms of um, those conciliation conferences and those family dispute resolutions, um, what do you, what do you call them? events? The, the, the family dispute resolution conferences. Conferences, right? Okay. Um, and the only thing is that a lot of time there's a bit of a delay in there's a bit of a waiting time to try and get that. So that's why people will often run off and have a private mediation. Yeah. Because it's just quicker. It's well, it's much quicker. Um, it's also it's also outside of court, which can be a slightly more relaxing experience. Yeah. Because even though those uh, conciliation conferences and, and FDR events tend to be by Microsoft Teams, you know, video software mm. process. Um, certainly, I mean, I've done loads of those in person as well as you will have done as well. Uh, but you're physically at court or you're in front of a court officer. It's a bit more intimidating than yeah. a private mediator and a large part of what a mediator will try to do is to bring some calm to what is a difficult situation. Um you don't get many sort of shouty mediators. I don't think you get, they, they wouldn't succeed very well in that yeah. role. The other thing too I just thought of was when you're at a, in a mediation, um, you can reach an agreement that is slightly outside the range of what a court may approve. So say, for example, mm. you might have some sort of arrangement. It might be a property case and you, you parties can't sell the property because they're going to end up with nothing. So they decide to continue on. Mm. They sever the tenancy and they both have, you know, their tenants in common now but they continue with this joint venture type thing and they enter into a binding financial agreement which the court might go, oh, I don't really like this. Yeah, that's right. Um, you can make so your own bargains you can make your in own a private thing, mediation. In a private yeah. mediation and, and of course, you know, you can the consent order can be that, you know, once you've obviously entered into that BFA is that the order from the court will be that case dismissed, no orders to cost. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that, and that's it a very externally. It's a very useful tool to have yeah. with a private mediation to be able to say we can come off the page here. Yep. It's particularly helpful, as you say, where maybe there's not much equity in some particular real estate for a period of time, but both mm. parties expect there to be, and they've both had this shared venture. Yeah. Maybe they've got business uh, interests that are tied up. Maybe there's a family trust. Yep. Maybe there are particular arrangements for children that are difficult, or you know other family members and dependents. If you've got a complicated you know, family law situation in terms of property and, and parenting, sometimes coming off the page during a court case that somebody has started might be a good idea. Look, your solicitor will be able to give you some good advice around that. So do mm. if you think that actually I'm not sure that 
my case is very straightforward. Have a chat with your family lawyer because you might be able to resolve it at a mediation and go into private agreements that will deal with the property. They do not need to be approved by a court. You need to get good advice over them. Don't rush at them. But they don't have to be approved by a court. There, I mean, you are able to make a bad bargain. I mean, I'm not going to advise a client to do that. But legally, you can do that. That's right. If you wish to. Plenty do. Plenty do. Yeah, I, I think um, entertainingly, I had a pastor as a client many years ago who had um, had been tending to his flock rather more than he ought to have perhaps been <laughs> and uh, was very keen to basically um, hand over everything out of contrition and shame and guilt. Yep. And it was trying to talk him off that particular ledge, but yeah, that's... Yeah, that's his ravine to jump into. That's right. Mine to advise about the you know, the downfalls. But anyway, so look, the pathway then, so we've we've tried dispute resolution. Yep. Hasn't say worked. We are the unlucky 10% or, or fewer than 10%. We're going to be heading off to what's called a compliance and readiness hearing, which is yep. code, for, code for what? Oh, it's just another check-in with the court. <laughs> Yet another court it's, event with a simplified another, system. It's a direction. <laughs> Um, the court at that point is wanting to make sure that you have everything ready to go that they can try and get a, start getting your matter ready for a trial date. Well, so they, what they'll do though, won't they list it for a trial management hearing that's as right. well? <laughs> so, so they won't necessarily give the trial date at the compliance and readiness hearing. They just want to know that you're ready. Yeah, and that you've got all that's the, where you're headed to. Like I, I've been butting heads with a few. Um, with a few judicial officers lately because of this whole, you know, they're wanting to have, um, like I'm talking about cases that have been in the court list for a very long time. You know, mm. you might be thinking about a family report. I know that from the date of a compliance and readiness hearing, you're probably still going to be at least 12 months away before you get a trial. It's frightening, isn't it? It's shocking. So You've I've got, got one at the moment where they've, the compliance and readiness hearing is not likely to occur until like about October or November this year, we're now in June, this was filed in, geez, I can't remember now, start of the year, um, and we're not getting a compliance and readiness, readiness hearing until after the time that the court is insisting that we have a family report. So we're going to get this family report, it's going to come out now, and then a whole heap of circumstances are going to change, plus add another 12 months to the age of the child and... Yeah whatever is going on, before we get to a trial. We're already anticipating the need for an updated family report for a family report that hasn't even been written yet. That's right. It's crazy. So, yeah, anyway, that's my my win. If I can advocate anything, it's to try your very best to settle cases before you end up in a final hearing because everybody's a loser in that. Yeah, so the compliance and readiness hearing, because, of course, before the compliance and readiness hearing, you've got to confer with um, with your opponent and address what the issues are and work out um, you know, how many witnesses you've got and what the issues are going to be. balance sheets, areas balance of disputation, sheets. where you can agree, commonality and yep. all of that. Yep. And, um, and you've also got to file a certificate of readiness. Yeah. So to say that you're all ready to go and because, of course, there's cost orders that are threatened and thrown about if, you, uh, if you've said that you're ready but you're not really ready or you're not mm. ready at all and... Um, you're not going to be ready in the foreseeable future, I mean... Yeah. Why did you bring the case? Or you need to engage with the process rather more, follow the directions. It so, can be difficult. Yeah, so the compliance and readiness hearing, um, that's assuming that you haven't already had a, another another mention or directions hearing before that because often they'll have multi, you'll have multiple mentions and directions 
um, before you even get to the compliance and readiness, or you get to a compliance and readiness hearing, and then the then the judge says, "Okay, you obviously you're obviously not ready. I'm going to flick it back for another mention before a judicial registrar." And that's been happening in a couple maybe of my cases at the moment. Because maybe the reason these cases don't often go all the way to trial is because everybody dies of old age before they get to the well, trial. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> just boredom, one of the two. Yeah, yeah that's right. Run, that's they run they out of money. They, I think no, they run out of puff and now, steam sadly, money. that is a real thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes a very difficult situation arises where a person does run out of money to, rep, to have any more legal representation and they are then faced with a very imbalanced playing field, you know, where the other side have still got, you know, their lawyers and their barristers and everything coming yep. at you on the other side and it's just you just got in front of the judge. Left. That's really tough, really tough. And I have you know, the utmost admiration of people that carry on with those cases and, and sometimes prevail, but it's a very difficult task. Yeah. So we've gone past our trial management hearing. We've had our compliance and readiness hearing. We've even filed our certificate of readiness. So we go off to our trial otherwise known as our final hearing. Yep. And that's simply the presentation of evidence, the running of arguments in front of a judge, and then ultimately, I'm sorry, I'm, that's your favourite bit, I know, because it's the ex-barrister in you, but that's you know, right, we, this, this is just about the pathways just, just today. Like, what? 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 No, no, we're not going to talk about all of that oh, now. Okay. You have your Fine. final hearing, yep. then there's the judgement, that's it. It's all finished, unless there's an appeal. And then you can listen to our other podcast. Then you can listen to our other podcast. Look, <laughs> look, there is a, a real pathway these days in the FCFCOA, the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, and get some legal advice around it. Have a look at the court's website. It's actually a very helpful website these days. There's a lot of information out there. I haven't even mentioned some of the projects that are run separately for particular types of cases when there are high-risk things called... You know, the Lighthouse Project, the Everett List and, and Magellan the List Magellan and List and Div 1 and, and then the PPP 500 for smaller property pools. There are lots and lots of little pathways and little rat runs around some of these processes. What we've talked about today is just a broad overview and some of the most important forms. There are, as you can imagine, things created by government, things where lawyers are involved. There are a raft of forms and various fees to be paid along the way, but Check out their website and, and check out our website too if you'd yeah, like to. Because we've done a little, a nice little snapshot. We have. We've we tried we've to summarise this in, in a pretty picture. A little infographic and, and we'll figure out with, with our super editor map as to how we get that out there onto our podcast website and yeah. onto our own website and have a look at that. It might just give you a bit of a snapshot as to how these cases run. Hope you've enjoyed listening and tune in again to another episode of the exciting Tales from Family Law with myself, Alex and Liza. It's split happens. Thanks very much. See you then. See ya. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good podcasts.